Well, before I start this new lesson, I thought I would show you something that you've been seeing if you've been here week after week, this tool, just a little bit of it, this tool we call eSword, E-Sword, or E-Sword. It's free. It's a free download if you use a computer. It's, it might cost $10 if you use a telephone, but it's, generally speaking, free. Free on the phone, too, now? Okay, well, good for it. <laughs> I, I have it up on the screen, and I have the font changed up real big for the auditorium for John chapter 1, and I realize the things, I, I want to show you just a couple things that you can't, you're not going to be able to see as well because the font is not big for them. Around the edges, you can see, here's all the books of the Bible from Genesis down to Revelation, and whatever book you happen to be in, next to it, you have all the chapters of that book. If we were, instead of John, in Psalms, why, there would be 150 chapters, and there they all are. And you can move to these things as quickly as that click of the mouse right there on Psalm 23, and there we are. Another tool in this tool is a little back arrow up here above the books. You see, I don't know if you can see, I'm, my mouse is not big enough, but this back arrow takes you right back to the last one you were in before that. That's nice, you can move forward and back. What I really wanted to show you this morning is how I use this to study the Bible. I do use it as a presentation tool because I can make the font big enough for an auditorium. But I also use it to study the Bible. Jesse, the pastor here, uses it to study the Bible. And I just pushed a button. I want to back off and show it again. There's a little pair of binoculars right here. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that. Up above the chapter numbers, there's a pair of binoculars. And that's how you can use this to search through the Bible. You can type a word or many words right here. This is a funny computer. I will just pretend to type by touching it, but if I were to type M-O-S-E-S -S and hit, and then, and then go here, I'm looking in the King James Bible, that's where I look, you can look in other, like the Greek and the Hebrew and different things like that if you know those things. Here you have a choice, you can search for all the words, but if you're looking for an exact phrase, you want to choose search for the exact phrase, and then you can put in three or four words that are perhaps unique in the way they occur, and you can find them. You don't have to search the whole Bible. When I prepared this lesson we're going to see today, I was looking for what Jesus and the apostles said about Moses, and so I'm going to search for Moses in the Gospels and the Acts. That's one of the choices here in this pull-down menu. And then I go all the way over here and just click on the binoculars, and boom, there's the first one in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus mentions Moses. And here's all of these verses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, that mention Moses. I can click on any one of them, and it takes the text where we were to that verse that I just clicked on. And so you can just work your way through. You can go back in that search by using this back button, you can go forward in that same search using this forward button. If you get to the end, it goes right back around to the beginning of the section that you had it searching. So I don't know if you can see that. This is really, really, really a useful tool, and that's all I wanted to show you about that today. <laughs> Just 
just what I thought you'd like to see. Now, I need to find the lesson here today. I think I'll look uh, look right here, go to here. This should be ready. Here it is. Okay. This is today's lesson. There were a little bit of notes or handout in the lobby as you came in. This series we're going to call God's Word. I don't know that the graphic has any particular utility for this series. Everything's connected. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Today we're talking about God's Word, why I believe it. And that will be the theme for a few weeks, I think. Underneath that, there's a little subtitle that says, Who says? Who says it's God's Word? Who says it's God's Word? Do you know there are, I call them liberals, there are theologians who don't much believe anything. In Jesus' day, they called them Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. So they said, I'm sad, you see. <laughs> the other group that Jesus nailed were called the Pharisees. They were very, 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 very righteous. They were very self-righteous. They said, I'm fair, I see. So that's how you can remember the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Both of those things I said are true. <laughs> But the liberals today don't believe, specifically don't believe one thing. They don't believe Moses could write. They don't know where the Bible came from, but they're sure it didn't come from Moses. They don't think writing evolved early in their theory. But I want to look at what the Bible says about who says Moses wrote. What did Moses do? Jesus said some things about Moses. Having followed that search that I just showed you in the e-sword, I come to this first one that was right on target. I thought, what did Jesus say about Moses? He said, Moses commanded. And Jesus said unto him, I think I'm going to dim this light because it's washing it out just a little bit. Jesus said... Unto him, see thou tell no man, but go thy way and show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now that doesn't say Moses wrote, but it does credit that Moses gave from God the commandments to Israel, especially the one about a leper who is cleansed, which is the setting of this verse. Moses commanded. In chapter 19 of Matthew, Jesus again answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? That's even before Moses. He's talking about the book of Genesis in the very first couple chapters. He which made them at the beginning made them male and female. As a side note, how many genders? I think two. Okay. And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Jesus credits those very earliest chapters of the book of, of the Bible, of the book of Genesis, as the truth that he relies on when he's teaching and arguing against the current crop of religious leaders, the Pharisees this was, I think. What else did Jesus say? 
He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you, allowed you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. That's the same truth he's just teaching. Male and female, man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. That's supposed to last. <coughs> he said, Moses allowed you to put away your wives from the, because of the hardness of your hearts, but that's not the way God started it. What else did Jesus say? Mark 10, 5, Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Moses, is who he's talking about, wrote you this precept. Again, he's still talking about this matter of divorce. They like easy divorce. Jesus said, Moses only gave you that permission because of the hardness of your heart. But Moses wrote you. Jesus said Moses wrote. Hmm. Mark chapter 7, verse 10, Jesus said, Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. You perhaps are familiar with the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, where he gave among them this commandment, Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, Moses said that. In chapter 7, verse 13 of Mark, he calls what Moses wrote the Word of God. And their tradition, the Pharisees' add-ons to it, were making the Word of God of none effect. Making the Word of God of none effect through your tradition, he put in great contrast what Moses wrote with the tradition of the religious leaders of his day. He called it the Book of Moses in Mark chapter 12, answering that sad group, the Sadducees, about the resurrection, as touching the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? I don't think I quoted the next line here, but the next line says God is not the God of the dead but of the living. So the, the point he's making is God is the God of the living. There must be a resurrection because God said years after Abraham had died, I'm the God of Abraham. In the, in the presence of God, Abraham was not dead. He was alive still in that place, the place the dead went to until Jesus emptied it out. But Jesus here refers to the book of Moses, and that's the book of Exodus where he's quoting from. Exodus, the second book in the Bible. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story, I think a true story. He says there was a man named Lazarus, and there was a rich man, he doesn't name him, and they both died, and the beggar is carried by the angels into, it says, Abraham's bosom. That's not the name over the place down there, it's not the name of the bar, it's the name of the place where Abraham gives hugs. This is Bob's bosom, Abraham's bosom. Abraham was in paradise in the heart of the earth. And the angels carried the beggar Lazarus down into Abraham's bosom where he was comforted. The rich man, apparently not a believer, was discovered then in the place of torments where he was able to feel, able to see, able to speak across this separation and beg Abraham to send Lazarus to him with his finger dipped in water to cool his tongue. 
And after that was denied him, because you can't go back and forth from the place of comfort to the place of torment and the other way, he said, Abraham, I have five brothers that are still on the earth. Send Lazarus back to testify to them, lest they come into this place of torment. And Abraham gave him this answer. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Well, the rich man said, No, no, if somebody came back from the dead, they would repent. That's what he said. And Abraham gave him another answer. He said, If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if somebody came from the dead. I like those two verses together that I just quoted because it defines the word repent as to be persuaded. It's not about being sorry for sin or turning from sin. It's being persuaded about the Savior. His brothers needed to be persuaded from the Bible to believe in the Savior that was coming for them. In Jesus' day, he was already there. They have Moses and the prophets. Jesus lifts it up. Puts it in Abraham's mouth. Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. We would call that the two of the three divisions of the Jewish Bible. The Jews in Jesus' day referred to what we call the Old Testament in three parts. The law, or the books of Moses, the prophets, and the writings. When he said Moses and the prophets, he's referring to two-thirds of what we call the Old Testament. Here it is, I did have it in the slides and I didn't remember that. He said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Jesus tells this story, puts the words in Abraham's mouth, true words, I think, and says it is a matter of persuasion. Lazarus was persuaded, this rich man in torments was not. Well, in chapter 20, verse 37 There's Luke's version that we'd already looked at, answering the Sadducees. The dead are raised, even Moses showed at the the bush when he called the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. So Matthew and Luke record that same little bit there. At the very last chapter of the book of Luke, after the Lord has been crucified, buried, risen again, and is now briefly for several days teaching the disciples before he returns to heaven, in Luke 24, verse 25, he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus said about the Old Testament, the prophets have spoken, and it is to be believed. In that same chapter, the very next thing that happens, I think, in that same chapter, that's verse 25, this is verse 27, and beginning, Luke records, at Moses and all the prophets, Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Still in the same chapter, Still in the same chapter, Jesus speaking at the very end, he said, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. And there we have mention of all three parts of the Jewish Bible, the law of Moses, and the prophets, 
and the Psalms, which included beyond the Psalms the rest of the other writings. He just poured out what a Bible study that would have been. I would have been a, loved to have been a fly on the wall in that meeting just to hear it. But we've got the Bible now in our hand. What about John? John chapter 3, Jesus is talking with this religious Pharisee teacher, Nicodemus, and makes a reference to something. He doesn't say, look in the book of Numbers, but it's in the book of Numbers. In chapter 3, verse 14, he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So we've got in front of us so far this morning, Jesus referring to Moses' writing in Genesis and in Exodus, and now in Numbers, is Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He uses it as a truth that he can illustrate his soon demise on the cross with. In chapter 5, Jesus spoke these words, Had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Jesus said Moses wrote about him. What did he say about Moses' writings? If you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? His writings. Notice Jesus, it keeps, he keeps making that mistake and being wrong in, in spite of what the liberal scholars say and, and says Moses wrote, but I think maybe they're wrong and he's right. I'm sure of it. In John chapter 7, did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go you about to kill me? Still in chapter 7, Moses therefore gave you circumcision. Uh, not because it's of Moses, but of the fathers. He gave it to Abraham first, but Moses put it in the law. And then he says, and you on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. Why was that? Because every male child in Israel had to be circumcised on the eighth day after birth. And you know that birth doesn't always ha happen on a specific day of the week. It happens when it happens. And so sometimes that eighth day would be on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you guys circumcise on the right day to keep the law, and you break the law of the Sabbath because of it. That's what you do, because it makes sense, and you do what makes sense. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken... Are you angry at me because I've made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? He had healed someone on the Sabbath day. In another place, he tells him, now if you have an animal that falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, you'll jump down in that pit and lift him out. Shouldn't I have made a person every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Well, besides what the Lord Jesus said, but I think that's enough, really. His witness is good. What did the apostles say about Moses' writing? In Luke chapter 2, verse 22, Luke is recording the story about the time of the birth of Jesus and when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They're keeping the law of Moses. Mary and Joseph and Jesus are keeping the law of Moses. It was commendable in that day. In Acts chapter 28... The Apostle Paul, Luke wrote this record down, the Apostle Paul has made a journey. This is the last chapter of the book of Acts. He's all the way in Rome and wanting to testify to Caesar. But in the meantime, he's still talking to whoever he can. When they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he 
expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. He started a little Bible school there, I think. Did a good job. What else did, what did, that was what Luke had said. What did John say? John said the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law was given by Moses. What did the apostle Philip say, one of the first of the ones chosen by Jesus to follow and to learn from him? Philip found Nathanael and saith to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In Acts chapter 3, Peter, the, one of the apostles, <laughs> Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Peter looks back at the book of Deuteronomy and sees this promise given to Moses by God that he was going to raise up another number one leader like Moses, another prophet that they would follow. And that was, of course, a prophecy of the promised one, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Peter refers to this passage in Deuteronomy quotes it, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say to you. And he says, Moses said that truly. That was Moses, he was right. <coughs> Excuse me. In Acts chapter 13, verse 39, this is just a snippet out of a gospel message Paul gave. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He still refers to the law of Moses, but after Jesus died and rose again, some things have changed, not really in truth greatly, that people have always been justified by grace through faith. They were never justified by keeping the law of Moses, and Paul says that in this verse. You could not be justified by the law of Moses. What is justification? It is to be declared righteous. We sometimes illustrate this here by talking about our hands and a wallet. We say that this hand represented you and me, and this wallet represented sin. We all have sin on us. If this hand could, and I mean respectfully, represent God, God has no sin. He's as high above us as we are low below the earth. You know, we're just nothing compared to him. But heaven is perfect. Heaven has no sin and to be justified is to be declared righteous. Now, we've got sin. We can't be declared righteous. But God is just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this. It says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Heaven is perfect, God is perfect, Jesus was perfect. He took the sin on himself, paid the penalty for it, died under it, was buried, rose again, sins paid for, and to whoever believes in him, he gives the righteousness of God. He declares us righteous. I believed in him when I was 15 years old. I am not living an example of a righteous life. I'm not saying he makes me righteous, 
but in the books of God in heaven, I am declared righteous. It's the court-ordered solution to my sin problem. Jesus paid for my sin, and I believed in him. I and all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He still makes favorable reference to the law of Moses as far as it being authoritative, but it is not the way of justification. In Acts chapter 26, still Paul talking, he's being, he's headed for trial. He says, Hermine therefore obtained help of God. I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. He still says Moses was a true prophet. Moses told the, wrote it down, told the truth. He said it had come. What did the apostle James say? In Acts chapter 15, we have just a little bit about James' declaration. He says, Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him. Moses is read, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. James also gives credit to Moses for writing the law. Now here's one thing that James said, recorded in Acts chapter 21, verse 21. I think he was wrong to say this. This is a true record in the Bible of something that James said, but I think his opinion stated here is wrong. Acts 21, 21, they, the Jews, are informed of thee, Paul had come into Jerusalem, that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. And James then tries to persuade Paul to act after the customs of Moses right there, right then in Jerusalem, take a vow. I think it was poor advice. Do you know not everything that the leaders of the church did in the first century was right? <laughs> but it's truly and accurately recorded in the Bible. Stephen, the 12 apostles, 11, and then they elected another one in, in Jerusalem after Jesus' death and resurrection, were teaching the word of God boldly, and many, many, many were being saved. And there were some people neglected in the lunches. There were a lot of people, Jewish people in Jerusalem from out of town, and their widows were being neglected. And so they appointed seven deacons, seven people, to serve food to these out-of-town widows. Stephen was one of those seven. But here's what Stephen said in chapter 7. The whole chapter is given to Stephen telling the history of Israel because he was a preacher. For being a deacon, he was a preacher. He said, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Moses knew how to write, don't you suppose? If he knew everything that the Egyptians had to teach him, and when 40 years were expired, there appeared unto him, that's Moses in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. Moses saw and heard the Lord. He heard God. And when Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. As he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him. Whoa! And this is what God said, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and durst not behold. I believe he wrote it down, but he waited until his hand stopped shaking. 
I am, that's the passage that Jesus referred to several times in the different Gospels that said, God's not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living. I am the God of Abraham. He's been dead for years. But I'm his God still, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Stephen goes on, this Moses whom they refused, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel that appeared to him in the bush. God sent Moses as ruler and deliverer, and Jesus was the prophet like Moses, also sent by God. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall you hear. Not only did Peter refer to that messianic prophecy that's found in Deuteronomy, so did Stephen. These guys knew their Bibles. They probably used the e-sword, I'm not sure. God told Moses how to make the tabernacle. When they came out of Egypt and went to Mount Sinai and got the law, God gave Moses a glimpse of heaven. He let him look into his throne room in heaven where there's a, a seat for God and the top of it called a mercy seat. And over it were some angels, the cherubim. And there was a great light there and Moses was supposed to make a mercy seat and an ark, a box to put the mercy seat on and a lampstand and an altar and an altar of incense and all these things that he saw in heaven. Our fathers, Stephen says, had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion he had seen. Stephen says, God let Moses see the real stuff in heaven and said, make you a little model of this. We'll call it the tabernacle. We'll call it the tabernacle. It's a tent. We'll be able to pack it up and fold it up and carry it, and I'll go with you. You'll set it up every place I stop, and you'll pick it up every time I go. And so he told Moses to make it according to the fashion he had seen. You know the odd thing there that Moses got a glimpse into heaven and Stephen referred to it? Just a few moments later in his message, they get really angry with him, and they go about and finish the job of killing him. But on his way to death, Stephen looks up to heaven and Jesus opens the window and he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Just like Moses got a glimpse into heaven, Stephen did too before he just went on up. Well, besides Jesus and the apostles and Stephen the deacon, there were some Pharisees who believed and they talk about Moses. In Acts chapter 15, verse 5, there arose certain of the sect of the Pharisees, remember, very self-righteous, which believed. These are, these are church people that believed. They, I mean, they really are believers. It says so. Saying it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. I don't know. I haven't taken a nose count in here, but I suspect most of us in here are not Jewish, but rather are Gentiles. That's if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So how would you like it if you were invited to the church and they said, it'd be great, you come on in. But to join the church, you've got to be circumcised. And then they explain to you what that is. And you might say, I think I'll go to some other church. I'm not sure. But it would put something in front of lost people to tell them they had to do this to be, a, to be saved. It was wrong. And Paul heard this and said, you've got to be kidding. The Gentiles are believing. That's what they have to do. 
Anyway, they referred favorably to the law of Moses. They were wrong about their opinion about it at that point. Unbelievers bear witness to Moses and the law of God, the word of God as well. Matthew records the challenge of the Pharisees saying to Jesus, why then, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Why did you do that? And Jesus, of course, answered, we already looked at it, because of the hardness of your heart. It wasn't that way from the beginning. They challenged him again. Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Oh, you need to know the story, don't you? At the beginning of John chapter 8, Jesus is in Jerusalem teaching in the temple. Big, wide area. A lot of people come to hear him. He's sitting down because that's what teachers did. We need to return to that custom where the teacher sits down and you all stand up. I read the other day that when sheep are sheared, they sit them on their backside and it kind of makes them fall asleep and then they can shear them without a struggle. And here we are with the sheep in the pews falling asleep. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we should have it the other way around. But Jesus was teaching and in the middle of him, he's teaching. And somebody busts in the side door, a bunch of Pharisees bust in the side door, dragging in a woman saying, Hey, you, stop. We caught this woman in the very act of adultery. She's a sexual sinner. Moses in the law commanded us that such should be sown. What sayest thou? What rudeness. But they still referred to Moses in the law as his command. Jesus stood up when they burst in, and he stooped back down and he wrote with his finger in the dirt. The only place in the whole Bible Jesus writes that we know about besides writing the whole thing. And they said, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he said, he that, he, he that among you is without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. And then he bent back down and wrote in the dirt again. I think what he wrote in the dirt, each one of them that were there saw his own story. Just... That's what I think. They were able to see what Jesus needed them to see, to remember. And it says from the oldest one to the youngest one, every one of them that were accusing the woman dropped their stones and left. And Jesus stood back up and he looked around. He's in the middle of a crowd that he's teaching, but he looks around and there's the woman, but no accusers. And he said, woman, where are thine accusers? He said, has no man condemned thee? And she says, no man, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That's how Jesus handled that interruption. What did the unbelieving Pharisees say? They said, we are Moses' disciple. Jesus had healed a man who was born blind. He was blind from birth. And Nobody had ever done that before. They had not found anywhere in history somebody that was blind for years and years and years and can see now. It, just, it was a new thing. And the man was asked by the Pharisees, of course he, Jesus did it on the Sabbath again, that was a, another count against him. They said, how did you do this? And he told them, well, he... <laughs> He did it the way every good eye doctor would. He spat on the ground, made clay, rubbed the clay in my eyeball. 
<laughs> I don't want to go to that eye doctor personally. But it worked. And he said, go, in the, go to the pool and wash. And I went and washed and came seeing. And the neighbors recognized him. Isn't that the guy that used to sit there and beg because he was blind? He says, I'm him. <laughs> How do you see? Jesus rubbed clay in my eye and made me go wash in the pool. They, they dragged him into the, uh, the synagogue in front of the leaders. And they said, you, how did you, uh, who did this to you? He said, Jesus. How did he do it? He made clay and rubbed it in my eyes and told me to go wash. And I came seeing. Huh. Well, eventually, he gets tired of it. He said, I already told you. Why do you keep asking me the same question? You want to be his disciple too? And that's what brought this up. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. <laughs> well, he said, I kind of thought it made sense since I can see to do what the guy that made me able to see said to do. They go on, we know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Of course, the, uh, the man that was blind spoke right up and he said, that's a strange thing. You don't know where he's from, but he's made me see. <laughs> Undeniable. They never said you can't see, and they never said you weren't born blind. They just said he's not from God. Now, here's the Sadducees who say there's no resurrection, and they're presenting this puzzle to Jesus, saying, Master Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. And that's true. Moses did say that. The rest of their story, which is possibly not really true, but it's in the Bible, it says there was this woman married a man and the man died and so his brother married her and he died and then his brother married her and he died and all seven brothers all married her and they all died and I think if I was maybe number four or five I might have stepped away from that situation instead of marrying the woman something's wrong in that house but uh, all of them married her and then she died too and the Sadducees puzzling question was so in the resurrection whose wife is she going to be and Jesus said you don't know a thing about the Bible we're like the angels of heaven when the resurrection comes. We don't marry. We're not given in marriage. We don't die anymore. There's the rest of their puzzle. Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die, I'd leave his wife behind him and leave no children. His brothers take his wife and raise up seed to his brother. That's the last of the little lesson today. I just We're going to go on with this thought about God's word and why I believe it for a few weeks now. I don't know. But there's a verse in the Psalms that says, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of the people that proclaimed it, that published it. It is God's word. It is God's book. There's a picture of one there. I've got one right here. I can hold it in my hand. I can open it. I can read it. This book closed up like this, not worth very much because it's not, not going into you. A verse in Psalm 119 says, the entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. That's Psalm 119, 130, I believe. The Lord gave the word. I hope you keep yours with you as you have it open often. I hope you will do some things with it. I hope you'll read it regularly. It's only when you read it, when you let it come into you, that it gives light. It's not a magical talisman. It is God's word written down 
for us to read. Open it up. I hope you'll... I, I just opened this to a random page. I don't know if you can see, but write in it. <laughs> Highlight things, color things, underline things, write notes in the margins. Use the notes that are already printed in the margins, those cross-references. If you're new at this thing, look them up. Look right there. It says next to that, it says Psalm 77, verse 5. Look over there, and you'll see there's verses that say similar things or that explain something. Use the helps. In the back of most Bibles, there's a tool that's like the e-sword. It's called a concordance. If you say, I remember there's some verse somewhere that says, so keep thy tongue from evil, and I can't find it. Well, you look in the concordance, and there it is. Psalm 34, 13, and 1 Peter 3, 10, both of them say something like that. That's what a concordance does. You remember part of a phrase, you look in a concordance, you can find it. In the e-sword, of course, you can put the exact phrase in and tell it to search for it. Here's what I call the bottom line. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, a fellow presented this to me when I was 15 years old, January 26, 1970, at about 9 o'clock in the evening, and a little house in the middle of an orange grove north of Curlew Road over in Dunedin. Not an orange grove anymore. <laughs> but I was presented this verse from the Bible. He asked me to read it to him. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. The man asked me if I knew that I had eternal life. I said, no, I think if you're interested in that, you do the best you can all your life. When you die, you find out how things balanced out. And he didn't argue with me. He was as kind as could be, but he said, would you read that again? <laughs> These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He said, you know what that means to believe on the name of the Son of God? I said, yes. You explained Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins. And he was buried, he rose again, and his name means God who saves. Yes, I do know what that means. He said, do you know you have eternal life? I said, no, I think you do the best. I said the same stupid answer something like seven times, and each time he offered very little explanation, but just asked me to read the verse again. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. When you realize and believe on Jesus' name, that he was the one sent by God that promises eternal life to everyone who believes in him. He made the way. He made it make sense by dying on the cross, being buried, rising again without sin, and giving justification, giving his righteousness to everyone that believes in him. That's why it makes sense. But the promise is you get the gift of eternal life when you believe in his name. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we have looked this morning at why I might believe that the word of God is the word of God, that even that Moses wrote it, even though the liberal scholars might say Moses couldn't even write, I think they're wrong and Jesus and the apostles are right. And I believe we have in our possession the book of God. Thank you for letting us begin this study to look into it. If there's ever anybody listening to me, Lord, now in the auditorium or out there online, that has not the knowledge, the assurance that they have eternal life. Let them dwell on this last verse. These are written to this group of people, the ones that believe in the name of the Son of God, 
for a purpose, the purpose of these words being written is so that that group, the group that believes, may know that they have eternal life. It's eternal. You have it when you believe. You can know that you have it because God's word says so right here in John, 1 John chapter 5. Father, bless us as we prepare our hearts for the service to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.